Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, episode 86, the one about the BBC Listening Project, House of Instagram Conference, and the film In Time. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for a third year production for your news, your tech, your content and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the host of the Rockwell Video Series and the author of Catsmat and Marketing Plans, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, I'm delighted to be with a man who's also on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast all the way from France, Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. And of course, you're joining me from Scotland. This remains an international production. Roger Edwards, I discovered recently that in the 19th century, French people could actually um, apply for a Scottish citizenship. <laughs> Is that right? Correct, yes. Well, because we had a bit of a shared enemy back in the, back in the US, where well, they were not the US back then. So, but yes, when the French and the Scots were together against the Brits, I could have, my ancestors could have applied to become a Scots as well as French. Well, if we ever invent time travel, we'll fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls of the TARDIS and head back and get you that citizenship. Well, thank you very much. Now, listen, <laughs> thank you to our viewers and listeners. You know, as we mentioned a moment ago during the introduction, this is the third year of production of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. And what a pleasure it is to not only spend some time with you on a regular basis, my dear friend, but also to get the lovely feedback. For example, the team at podcastradionetwork.com, a UK radio station playing podcast 24-7, kindly selected Two Geeks and Marketing Podcast to be featured the entire week last week on two channels, the Podcast Radio and Podcast Radio Business. So Roger and I, we were able to start the day at 9am and close the day at 11pm on podcastradionetwork.com. That was really, really fantastic. Really appreciate that. We've also had shout outs from quite a few people on, on the socials, on Twitter and LinkedIn, Rumble Studio, Chris Fox, Joel Schwartzberg, Sam Torres, Andy Turner, and David Charlton. We and also more. had, and more, <laughs> Michelle McArthur Morgan, Darren Beery, Eric Purdy, Andrew Hutchinson, and Film Courage. And of course, the team at Released, Stephen McCormack, Victoria Taylor, Claire Yosa, Dorian Linsky, the team at Reich and Scott Myers. My goodness, what a week for shout outs, Pascal. Indeed, and so many others as well. Uh, thank you. You know, we work well behind, behind the scenes in terms of pre-production, the production and post-production with our good friend, Team Orton. And we just enjoy knowing that others are kind of enjoying listening and watching the shows. Absolutely right. So uh, just keep on listening, guys, and keep on sending us your feedback and keep on giving us the shout outs. We really appreciate it. We do. So we're going to go through our usual segments. We will end the show as we've done now for 86 episodes with film marketing and Roger Edwards. Once again, it is a fine selection from you. Well, we did say that we would send you back in time to get citizenship of Scotland. By a staggering coincidence, our film today has the word time in it. It's called In Time. But it's not actually about time travel, is it, Pascal? Not quite. We're going to reveal more during film marketing, but also we're going to be using a different format. That was your suggestion, Roger, and I love it. We're going to do a detailed um, breakdown of the trailers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
because actually there wasn't a lot of information available about the marketing itself. But we love the film, we wanted to talk about the film, and we discovered some really interesting lessons that we could learn from the two trailers that are out there. Just going for this, but before we do so, let's begin with In The News. According to a recent report by YouGov, only 37% of consumers globally say they completely or somewhat trust digital-only banks, and over half say they distrust cryptocurrency. Well, Twitter has finally began its rollout of its audio tab new feature. Some users can now listen to selected pre-recorded the podcast alongside live Twitter spaces. Consumers ranked Instagram as their preferred media brand for the second year in a row, followed by Google, YouTube, and then TikTok, according to Cantor's third annual media reactions report. Social Media Today reported that LinkedIn is working on its own native post scheduling option, hopefully a little more reliable than third-party tools, particularly in terms of how your post will look like when it goes live. Marketers are still not sold on social shopping, according to adweek.com, as data suggests that the pandemic e-commerce boom has not translated into purchasing on social platforms. First announced in 2018, Google is adding some new social features to Google Maps. If a friend of yours has opted into location sharing, you'll be able to get notification when they arrive at and leave certain events or venues. That's going to make it very hard to avoid people you don't like. Pepsi is giving away a tiny home through a sweepstake on a grocery delivery site called Instacart. Called the Pepsi 18-week pack, it's the ultimate fan cave filled with football memorabilia and drinks, of course. And one for you, Roger Edwards. A new app has gone viral in Japan, the Cat Translator. App Meow Talk Cat Translator says it uses AI to translate the meows, the purrs, and even the hisses into human speak to help you understand what your cat is saying. Oh, I don't think we could ever, ever work out what our Lottie is saying to us. She has about 15,000 different types of meow. <laughs> I thought this was actually uh, April's Fool that has gone viral much, much later, you know, but it does exist. It's had uh, to the tune of 147 million downloads and 4.5 ratings on the Google Play Store. Yeah, it's it sounds like a little bit of wishful thinking to me. And what I find most alarming about it is that the cats, the translation seems to have been translated into LA Valley talk. So it, it just sounds like, <laughs> sounds like you're talking to an American teenager. So I'm pretty sure that's not how our, our cat actually speaks. <laughs> no, I'm sure of it. Let's begin with the news review. So you mentioned obviously the lack of trust with online banks and crypt cryptocurrency. We covered this before. And our conclusion was, well, do a better job communicating with your customers and the audience. So I want to use the second item about Twitter, adding this audio tab where now they'd be able to play pre-recorded podcast, hopefully including two gigs and marketing podcasts. But I wanted to ask you, Roger, you've been a podcast producer a lot longer than I have. Have you? Did you ever imagine a time where your podcast would be available on Twitter? Not really, and I'm still not sure whether it belongs there, Pascal. Um, I mean, I knew that this was available, albeit recently, um, but I tend to listen to most of my podcasts either on Spotify or the Apple native podcast app. Um, will I go and look for my own podcast, Two Geeks, or, or any podcast in the Twitter app, or will I just continue to use Spotify or, or um, the pod? I, I guess on a mobile phone, it doesn't really matter. I, I wonder whether 
I mean, we will look into this for our viewers and listeners, and we will attempt, obviously, to get two gigs listed, and we'll tell you what it looks like and the efforts and the hoops you have to jump through. So to me, there's two thoughts. It's either wishful thinking on the part of the platform because Twitter is not the, um, the platform for long-form content. You, know, you and I have spoken about this before. Or would it help actually get people who don't listen to podcasts at all become podcast listeners? Yeah. I mean, again, we haven't actually tested it out properly, but when you're on a mobile device, if you listen to a podcast on Spotify or the native apps, if you then sh uh, flick out of that app and go to something like LinkedIn or you go to do some typing, obviously the audio continues to play. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm assuming that will happen even if you're in the Twitter app, I wouldn't like to have the situation where, well, I start listening to it in Twitter, then I decide to go into PowerPoint or something like that to do some work, and all of a sudden the audio cuts out. So I assume they'll have got that part of the technology working in the same way as the native podcast apps do. That's the very, very point. Listen, everyone, let us know how you feel about this future audio towns, or maybe you're lucky enough to be the selected few who've got it already, and you can let us know what it looks like and you know the impact it's had already on your relationship. I wanted to take you back to the item you read around social shopping and the adweek.com. It was an analysis. It was also kind of a, a thought piece, this idea of there was a claim that because of the pandemic, you know, the vast majority of the global population would go online and buy everything online. And the one way that they would do that was through the social networks. And of course, only a couple of weeks ago, you and I read out the news that Facebook was doing away with its live shopping channel. What do you think? Are people just reading too much the headlines? And actually, the issue is, is a lot more complex than that. I suspect it is a lot more complex. I mean, we, we've had the conversation before. People are still selling things via via um, Facebook, aren't they? The Facebook marketplace. But that's a different thing to the, the sort of shopping channel. I, I, I guess it, maybe it comes back to one of the conversations we frequently have on the show that a lot of these social media platforms are just trying to do everything that every other social media channel does. You know, in, even in some respects, Twitter just adding a podcast thing there. You might think, well, why don't you just stick to being a platform which has, you know, tweets of 240 characters and stick to what you're good at? And, and maybe what will eventually happen is that each of these social media platforms will find its own unique voice and its own unique features. Whereas at the moment, they just all seem to be obsessed with adding in what everybody else does. And I just think that there are certain platforms where people are just going to say, do you know what? I don't want to shop on there, or I don't want to listen to podcasts on there, or I don't want to see short form video on there. I want to go to that particular one because it has a unique feature, which I like. Listening to you, I have this complete, um, can travel back in time to a conference I attended as a very young marketing officer where there was a speaker who on purpose was talking about a future where, for example, Heinz, the baked beans company, would become an airline or whereby Barclays would start selling carpets and stuff like this. And what he was saying is that there is a point where you know, know your place, stay within, you know, your, your zone of expertise, because in fact, the public would just not accept it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you could argue um, Barclays, the bank, you know, has more than enough um, kind of disposable income. 
come to experiment with all the former products that they mm -hmm. could sell to, to their consumers. They have the database, they have the relationship and so on. But no, they know, you know where, where they are with regard to their standing in terms of industry, but also society. Mm -hmm. And that's where they're going to stay. And, and yeah, maybe you know, your comment about your, your existence is around the uh, informing, entertaining, Perhaps you don't have that much of a role to play in e-commerce after all, whether you're Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the others. Yeah, absolutely right. So qu quickly then, can I ask you your reaction to Google Maps? Looking, but they announced it in 2018 that they were looking to become a social network. So that's you know, playing to your comment earlier. And this idea of, well, that, just that actually, Google Maps becoming a social network, but of course, one of their attempts is for you to be connected with your you know, friends and family by sharing your location to begin with. <laughs> it's quite funny, isn't it? I mean, again, it, it, it's when does something become in, uh, intrusive or, or when is it just incredibly useful um, there's a nice fascinating tv program on at the moment called um, um the capture uh which is all about video and uh editing live video and, and creating almost like copies of people which is really scary and you know again some of this it's like cctv do we really want to be so visible to everybody all the time i mean it just came to my head there what happens if you were um, arranging a surprise birthday party for somebody or a surprise <laughs> anniversary party for somebody and you'd invited everybody round and and this person was walking up the driveway totally oblivious to the fact that he was just about to have a, a surprise party and all of a sudden Google Maps pings him and says do you realize there are 500 of your friends in that <laughs> building up ahead and, and immediately the surprise is blown um, so I think we just have to be careful what we wish for to be honest I would agree. And, and of course, this whole issue of data sharing and data privacy with a big platform. Uh, for me, what is interesting is something that we've mentioned before on the show is four years later, Google, Google are still not going ahead with the, the full form social network. So what they described at the conference, Google IO, was to begin with businesses who have an entry on Google My Business or Google, Google Business Profile now, could create literally like an exclusive network where their customers would get special offers and would be the first one to know about new products and, and opening hours and that kind of things. Then you could have friends who could organize to actually a birthday party by voting on the venue or voting on the presents to buy and so on. But four years later, and they still haven't done it, and I, and, I, and I wonder whether it's actually playing to your comment earlier, where they kind of realize it's not their territory, mm -hmm. and they should remain one of the most successful search engines in the world. Yeah, yeah. Know your place, know your market, know what you're good at. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to kind of get your reaction and your thoughts on all this. We're going to slow things down with our next segment, the content spotlights. Now, each week, Roger and I surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb, an article on the podcast, a video that can help us reflect what it means to be a marketer in today's economy. So, Roger, what have you found for us this week? Okay, Pascal, this is a bit different again. I found an article which I wanted to talk about, but the article that I want to talk about also mentions another article. Actually, no, it doesn't. It also mentions a podcast that the BBC put together. In, in fact, it's a podcast based upon uh, a program 
program that appears on BBC Radio 4. But the two articles d dovetail perfectly into each other. And, and it really did get me thinking. Now, the actual article itself appears in Marketing Week and the article was written by Helen Edwards. And we've mentioned Helen a few times on the show before. What she's talking about is research. And as you know, Pascal, I'm a massive, massive research fan. And I'm also of the opinion that these days we just don't do enough research. We don't talk to our customers enough. We don't understand what our customers need and what they want and how we can help them. And sometimes that affects uh, negatively the products and the services that we put together and ultimately the communications that we do to support those products and services. And, and what Helen starts off by doing is saying, you know, when you do research, whether that's by putting people into a, um, a focus group or whether you get people to talk one-on-one, -on -one, it's very, very easy to effectively load the questions you ask them or to focus so entirely upon what you want to hear that what they what they say to you actually isn't going to um, make any difference because you either load it too much in your favor and they therefore say what you want them to say or you narrow it down so much that you ex exclude fee feelings and emotions they may have on related issues which might actually have given you the insight that you that you wanted so helen starts off by saying what might seem to be the obvious in that maybe don't do that just try to keep that level of of, of generic questioning in when you're doing research so you can really get to the heart of the individual but then that's when she makes this reference to this bbc um channel this bbc podcast um which is actually called the bbc listening project now, if you go onto the um, podcast app, you can find it, or you can find it on BBC iPlayer as well, because it's BBC Radio 4. The Listening Project every week basically gets two people, two members of the public, two unremarkable people for anything in that they don't work for specific big brands or they don't work in specific industries. They're just picked at random and they're sat down and they just let them talk about anything they want to talk about. And as you would expect, when two different people get sat down, the conversation might start off a little awkwardly, then somebody will hit upon a topic the other one likes, and they start riffing off each other. And then somebody might get set off on a rant or something like that. Somebody else might suddenly realize something they've enjoyed recently, a film they've seen, a meal they've eaten, whatever it might be. And it's just that way of them bouncing off each other and the beauty of it is is it because it's not scripted i think they're given prompts but nothing more than that pascal just prompts it's very very lifelike it's what it's the sort of conversation that two people would have in a pub or a coffee shop if they met and what helen then comes back to saying is do you know this is the sort of environment that you want to create when you do research put people in a room by all means and maybe even mention your brand, but keep it really generic. Give them prompts. Don't Maybe don't even ask them questions. Let them have a normal conversation. And even if you've got a moderator in the room, make that moderator keep his or her mouth shut and just see how the, the conversation develops. Let them have a natural conversation. Don't steer them too closely to what you want to hear. Don't narrow the questioning down so much that it effectively means that they're not 
able to expand their experiences and draw other experiences in. And as a result of reading the article, which was going to be my original uh, content spotlight, I guess, I went away and listened to a few of these listening projects. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to hear people just talk about normal stuff. And I just thought, do you know what? If you could get some people talking like this about your industry and the products in it, but without that rigorous sort of focus that a lot of research brings to it, I would think you were going to learn so much more and you might even have some real epiphany moments when really quite general conversations all of a sudden deliver you something which you could then turn into something remarkable from a product or a service point of view. Oh, wow. Well, thank you very much for this reminder. I, I used to listen actually to the BBC Listening Project when I was driving a lot, you know, to appointments in the morning, I think it was on. And you're right, there, there were conversations from people from anywhere in the world, English speaking, I, I would add, but the conversation of the topic was always um, quite innocuous to begin with, but then it would reveal so much about the local culture or, or the people, their, their wishes and, and their feelings. And in if I was to play that back to the um, in the news section where we read, for example, the lack of trust with uh, digital only banks or this idea of social shopping and and people maybe using data a lot. I remember one of the best advice I was given one of my mentors was you need data and drama to be able to make a decision. And that's what we have here, which is let people talk about their feelings about shopping online for argument's sake and and you know let conversation flow very very naturally but it reminds me a bit as well of you know the conversation i have about asking people for example to be content creators bloggers vloggers and more and to be to relax into the into the style and to make it more conversational and they always look at us you know strangely done they're doing our workshop or doing our presentation or conferences because the the two things they either and are confident that this is the right thing to do, or they're still thinking, yes, but if I get too conversational, do I lose the the edge from demonstrating to the world how much I know <laughs> or you know how informed I am? And we always have that tension. Whereas those individuals in the who are part of the BBC listening project, they have none of those concerns about mm. the opinion of mm. others, which is why you get better quality, in fact. Yeah, I mean, I've been involved in hundreds of research projects throughout my marketing career. And I will admit that there are some times when you deliberately try to steer the conversation in the direction you want it. I know that it happens because I've been involved in it before. You shouldn't do it, but it's it's just the natural marketing mind, isn't it? Especially if you've mm. got a product you want to sell. Whereas this, if you just let yourself, if you just let the people go, then you're going to learn. I mean, you might not learn anything, but the reality <laughs> is, the reality is you're probably going to get some absolute golden nuggets, Pascal. Oh, absolutely. Well, listen, your selection was unusual compared to what we've done in the past. Well, I would say so is mine. We keep doing that. We don't talk to each other and we end up somewhere very similar. So what we're going to do is, for me, is about I attended a few days ago the House of Instagram virtual conference. So the House of Instagram exists already as an online resource and something that people can get into as a website to learn about how to use Instagram more as a business corporate account. But the House of Instagram virtual conference was a um, kind of nine o'clock till 2 p.m. It was a short virtual conference. 
And it was lovely because I must confess, you know, I've, I've done a fair share of virtual conferences and they are not all good. Mm. You know, some of them are tricky to, to get through because of the tone, because of the presentation, because sometimes it's awfully bombastic or a bit shouty. And then we have crowds cheering and using the word awesome all the time and cool all the time. <laughs> this was not it. This was a really well-produced virtual conference. In fact, it was more like a TV show. It was calm. It had good pace. I think all the presentation were roughly a quarter of an hour each. So it was moving very, very fast. And, and it's just a great thing. So I put the, the links in the show notes for people to watch it on replay. Uh, for me, I couldn't do justice by uh, summarizing the whole conference, but I wanted to give a shout out to um, Adam Mosseri, who is the head of, of the Instagram product, but also Ian Edwards and Grace Cow, who did a great job in explaining the metaverse. Um, Gord Ray, who did a brilliant job in explaining how to use Instagram particularly well. And Thomas Finetto, who actually did a demonstration live, which is very brave, of using Instagram Reels. So this took place about two days at the time of recording. So I've not had the time to really reflect on everything. So what I'm going to do, if you don't mind, is use my notes. I'm going to do this on, on the microphone so people can see that I've got my handwritten notes and give you a quick <laughs> summary and get your reaction. So um, Adam Mosseri, who's the head of Instagram, presented the mini conference and they are working as a brand on three key products and key, key three three themes i beg your pardon reels online and social commerce so there we are and the metaverse and then they move straight into the metaverse and i have to say that i've got to really really applaud and congratulate ian edwards and grace cow for really explaining the metaverse well and what was interesting during the conference roger they, they were a lot more moderated about the, the enthusiasm that has been in around the metaverse what they were saying is this will take time you know don't rush study take your time explore so it was all sort of the, the kind of advice around the pace of it what, what they were saying is that we're nearly there and you may not realize, but you've been playing a part in helping us understand how to craft the metaverse and how to use it. Because what they were saying is Instagram amongst the other brands of the, the meta brand have been there to bridge the gap between offline and online. So you've been able to do, do live connections you know, with friends and, and customers. There's been live interaction. There's been the, the creation of avatars. You've been using uh, AR effects, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So what they were saying is that this is essentially what you're doing now. And the metaverse is a logic evolution of what you're doing now, where you'd be able to go into an environment for others to experience and share, you know, th their thinking. So they think that there will be three things that the metaverse will do well for brands to create an experience, which would be short-lived. So I think that was interesting. It wasn't like you're going to end up living on this island and shop around and spend hours and hours. It was more you'd be invited for an experience, as you and I have mentioned, you know, on in the news in particular. It would be useful social gathering. That could be a brand-led social gathering, or it could be just friends and family, and would be used a lot for AR adverts. So the example that is, is the show, they've shown was this idea of um, you want to buy something new uh, for the for the home environment, for the business environment, and so on, and you can use your mobile phone to essentially imagine what it would look like once you've bought the the, the outfit, or you bought the furniture, or you bought the car, or the, even the um, 
kind of expensive piece of machinery and that kind of things. So I thought it was quite interesting. It was a more moderated view on the metaverse compared to you know what we've heard in, in the past. The final thing I would say, because I'm conscious of time, was around the demonstration of how to use Instagram Reels by this gentleman, Thomas Finetto. And the conclusion I've reached after watching 20 minutes of the demonstrations that Instagram Reels is essentially a video editing studio in your pocket. And if you want to be using Instagram Reels, the planning and the editing and the publishing and the marketing is equivalent to me of what you would do if you were editing a video on a computer because of the richness of obviously of the features and the things you can do with it. But actually what was clear to me is that it's not something you can do quickly. I think that's where stories probably will belong, you know, where you can just quick take a quick 10 second, 30 second video, add a hashtag, add a sticker, and literally put it online. But when it comes to Instagram Reels, the level of thinking and preparation and, and planning, it's so significant that I don't think it's something that you would do rushing. I think it's literally equivalent to the think and planning of a Rod Frog or a marketing studio, that kind of things. And I will say that was a bit of a revelation for me. So uh, as a little kind of um, note to myself, I must revisit Instagram Reels and better understand the difference between them and Instagram Stories. That's really interesting, Pascal, because the functionality that's available for the story and Reels mm. is very similar. I think, yes, you've got more editing options within Reels, but it's not strikingly different. And maybe that's where I've struggled as well, is that, well, I'll do a story or I'll do a reel. I don't know where I don't know where the line is between the two. Um, and and if you remember back to when I started doing Rog vlogs, I think it was originally you that encouraged me to start using it with Snapchat at the time. The fact I could record in a story I, five seconds from this angle and five seconds from mm. that angle and five seconds just to mix it up a bit. The, you know, that fa functionality is there and it, it is what a filmmaker would do, but obviously it's richer in the Reels functionality. So yeah, that's I've never really thought about it that way before. And that's probably a topic I'd like to come back to in the future. Absolutely. So approaches to all the other speakers, the organizers, you know, in, in the limits that, that time that we've got on this segment, I can't do justice to the uh, to the whole conference. The links will be in the show notes. Do go and have a look because they do share a lot of data as well as the explanation. And it's also, I would say, a very good example of how a virtual conference can be produced more like a TV show, uh, interesting pace. And um, what I will say as well is for all the presenters who are you know, by trade, marketers or product developers and designers. Congratulations to all of them, because it is very, very hard to do what they've done, which is to speak to a camera, whether it was recorded or live, without an audience and and just, you know, your, your, your notes and your colleagues. So, no, all in all, it was um, a morning and, and kind of early afternoon well spent. Excellent. So, listen... Thanks again for your contribution on the content spotlight. We'd like to explore a bit more what it means to be a marketer in today's economy with our next segment, the Marketing Tech and Apps. Okay, Roger, so what have you found that could make life easier as a marketer or content creator this week? This week, it's about LinkedIn, Pascal. Two little things that I want to know, uh, point out to you. This is something which We'll have to wait and see as to whether it actually works. LinkedIn have now added the ability to put a link into a picture. 
Now, for a long, long time, we've always known <clears throat> that LinkedIn doesn't like you to put links into posts that take people away from LinkedIn. And we know that if you do put a link into a post, that LinkedIn tend to uh, okay, Roger, lower so the uh, visibility of that post, effectively penalising you for putting a link into a post. And there's been all sorts of LinkedIn gurus telling you ways of getting around that, like the famous one, which is to post the post without a link and then post it and then edit it and put the link back in. Apparently that confuses the algorithm. I've always thought, well, LinkedIn aren't stupid. If they're going to penalize you, they'll know that that's what you're up to. Other people say, no, 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 no. Don't but put the link in the post, put it into the first comment. Um, and that'll confuse the algorithm as well. Well, now they've introduced this ability to put a link into a photo. Now it only works on the app uh, the mobile app and the and the uh, tablet app, but it's really quite cool. So when you upload a picture, you've got all the usual um, options where you can edit the picture in terms of color, you can add filters onto it, you can add stickers, but there's now this link feature. If you press the link feature, it invites you to put a URL in, and then in the middle of the picture, but you can, it appears this almost like a sticker with the link in it, and you can move that sticker around to put it into the right place on the photograph. So when that appears on your on your post, if they touch the photograph, it immediately takes them to that link. Now, of course, the big question is, if LinkedIn are gonna give us such a phenomenally useful piece of uh, kit, I guess, within LinkedIn itself, are they actually gonna penalize us for using it? So time will tell, Pascal, as to whether they give us on something as useful as that on the one hand, but actually they penalise you for using it. I'd like to think, and I'm sure everybody else listening to this would like to think, that if you do use the picture app, then they aren't going to pe- uh, the the link in the picture app. They aren't going to penalise you for using it. And if that's the case, then it will be a phenomenally useful way of getting people from LinkedIn to our own content on our own websites, into our own podcasts, etc. I've tried it a few times and I can't really tell whether it's been, mm. it's, it's had that effect or not. People have seen the post, uh, but whether it's more or less doesn't, I, I don't think I can tell at the moment. It looks about the same. The second one, and we've been waiting for this on LinkedIn for ages, Pascal. We've we've already talked about Clubhouse on the show, and of course Twitter Spaces, which you and I have have tried out a few times. We've known that LinkedIn have been coming out with their own version, their audio room, as it were, but a bit like LinkedIn Live, a lot of us have been waiting a long time to get it. And I haven't really heard of many people talking about it. And I just assumed that it was a bit like LinkedIn Live, that it would take an absolute age to to roll out to everybody. And I noticed somebody talking about it the other day saying, oh, I've just done this um, LinkedIn audio room. And I think I put a comment on it, it says, oh, is this another one of those things that they only roll, roll out to Americans or they're doing it in, in Hong Kong or something like that just to test it in a local environment? And this person replied and says, oh, no, you'll have it. It's just that they've hidden it away so well that you probably don't even know it's there. And lo and behold, Pascal, lo and behold, if you go into the LinkedIn menu over on the left side, go all the way down to events. If you click on events, you'll get a whole list of things that you can come up with. And there it is, LinkedIn audio rooms, hidden in plain sight. So it's there. I only found out about this when I was um, 
coming up with the ideas for this week's marketing tech and apps. So I haven't tried it out yet, but I think you and I should probably give it a shot at some point in the future. Uh, it, it just seems to work like all the others. You know, you can invite people in, you can give people a mic, you can make people a moderator, you can have people who are just listeners or people who are both listeners and speakers, etc. i.e. another version of Clubhouse and Twitter spaces within the LinkedIn app. But it's all scheduled just like you would do in the other apps. So if you create an event for a week on Thursday, it'll send out a post, it'll send out reminders, etc. So it looks pretty good. So we know it's there. You've probably got it as well, but you didn't know. <laughs> so we can probably give that one a try out sometime when we've got a spare five minutes. Oh, absolutely. But please let me express my frustration because I'm my memory style. You and I applied to be told, you know, to, to have the LinkedIn audio rooms. We even applied to be part of the LinkedIn podcast network and heard nothing. And, you know, it, it goes back to the LinkedIn live video as well. And then the, the, the first item, I'm like you. Initially, I'm like super delighted. Then, then I realized, oh, yeah, but am I going to get penalized for doing that? Because I, I'm, I'd love to hear from LinkedIn, you know, why go through. The, the trouble of creating this feature of adding a hyperlink into a photo where really their designs were built to stay on LinkedIn. And historically, and the data as you know, from people within our network and beyond has proven that if you have a link within your post, a LinkedIn post, the reach is much reduced. Hence why people have been kind of playing silly games like putting it in the comments and so on. Uh, listen, I'm always delighted to see the, the platform doing more. Um, I'm just confused sometimes by the secrecy this around, you know, <laughs> and not what they do. But but talking of secrecy, I mean, is it? Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Instagram Reels. Of course, I am having obviously included them in my content spotlight. So now that there is a clearer, well, I mean by that clearer for you and I, not due to the Instagram um, efforts in terms of communicating. Now that there's a clearer differentiation form between Instagram Reels, a visual storytelling compared to stories, which is more that immediate uh, catch now or be gone tomorrow post that can be kind of featured as stories. Then I rediscovered the official Instagram Reels webpage. Mm -hmm. I put the link in, in the show note, but within that, in fact, you'll be able to see all the other Instagram products because it's on business.instagram.com forward slash Instagram hyphen reels, but all the other products, including advertising, will be included. One of the tips that was featured in the um, the web page, but also during the conference, was what they called Insta reels remix. So, if you came across, for example, a um, an Instagram reel that you particularly like, or you want to react to or indeed it could be our own effort the two gigs martin podcast extract what you can do which you've seen done uh, before is create a remix where you'll be essentially added alongside the initial reel so it'd be like you know a vertical split of the screen of the left hand side the original reel and on the right hand side your reaction your comment they said that's a good way to get started to be seen to be reacting and commenting on on others so definitely worth looking into and then it was back to this idea and which is where i would go as well with the linkedin audio rooms what about the repurposing what about the saving what about you know, this idea of creating maybe a montage of the reels of the month you know for my business and i know that you can download the reels themselves, you know, within the app. But what about if you want to edit on your computer? Are you going to go through the you know, the trouble of downloading on, on your mobile phone, then finding a way to share it, maybe Google Drive or 
whatever. So I've come across this um, it's also a Chrome extension to download your Instagram Reels and also your stories for, for that matter. It's called InstaVideoSave.net and it works both on the iOS and kind of PC operating system as well as a Chrome extension. And I thought it would be easier for most of us to be able to have the Reels right on the computer and then edit using our favorite you know, editing software. So Instagram Reels, you could be able to access the official, if you like, uh, advice center, and then be able to download it on your computer as well. Fab, fantastic. So definitely Instagram Reels seems to have gone up in the ratings on the Pascal scale recently. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you can tell your story visually better, more creatively, I'm all for that. So that's great. But as we say, in every single episode of Two Geeks and Mountain podcast. None of this would be possible without the hard work and dedication of pioneers and visionaries of the distant and recent past. It is time, Roger, to move on to This Week in History. In 1955, the Independent Television Authority, a.k.a. ITV, becomes Britain's first ever commercially funded TV station. The first evening aired 23 adverts, including Cadbury's Chocolate, Gibbs, SR Toothpaste and Esso Petrol. Wow. Well, in 1999, Evan Williams and Meg Horian become the co-founders of Blogger, one of the earliest personal website publishing systems. Google bought Blogger in 2003, and the solution is still available now on blogger.com. In 2003, after 14 years in space, eight of those as the first man-made object orbiting Jupiter, the unmanned NASA spacecraft Galileo, is sent into the atmosphere of the giant planet. Oh, well, in 2005, Apple introduces the iPod Nano, effectively replacing the iPod Mini. This was a huge surprise for many in the industry, as the iPod Mini was extremely popular. However, the use of flash storage instead of a hard drive allowed for a much smaller device and better battery life. I used to have an iPod Nano. In fact, I, I looked in all my drawers and um, cupboards to see if I could find it so I could hold it up, because I still think it's one of the coolest little things that that uh, Apple ever did for the iPod. They were, they were super slim and they came in a range of colors and they just had that um, iconic little uh, sort of circular thumb screen, touch screen thing to, to shift through your um, playlist. And it was just so good and just it could hold loads and loads and loads and loads of, of tracks. And I guess before the um, iPhone came along and before Spotify came along, it was one of the best ways to listen to music on the go. Yeah, and you're right. You know, what Apple have, have, have done forever is to make using tech so enjoyable. Mm. You know, the way it feels, the way it looks, the way uh, you, know, where you can maneuver through very intuitive all the time. But also, despite the fact that people were sometimes very critical saying, well, you're just you know, chasing money now because people have got the iPod Nano. Why do you want to force them to buy the um, um, iPod Mini? So the other way around. Well, they were already dealing with a big problem of storage mm. and battery life which mm. has been essentially plaguing all of us you know from the moment we had a kit it's still to this day people will run out of storage or complain about the short the, the short battery life absolutely right yeah storage is again as video files become bigger because we're all starting to shoot in 4k now whereas 
two or three years ago, HD was absolutely fine. Now we're talking about 4K all the time. And undoubtedly, I've heard that, you know, some of the next generation phones coming along are going to be able to shoot in 8K. So some um, uh, GoPros shoot in 5K already. So, you know, we are starting to run out of storage again. So, yes, those two things, whilst all this technology continues to evolve, we do still have this problem with storage and battery life. I'm told, and I could be just scaremongering, that the big platforms like Apple, Google, and the others are out of space for storage. At least to say that they can't find land to buy, to build, to build those um, those data centers, which are just like small cities in our own rights. We've covered this in the past on, on the show. But I wanted to take you back to 1999 and blog.com. Uh, oddly, I thought it was much earlier than that. But... I must confess, even though video will always be my favorite f format in terms of content creation, I'm still, you know, I've got this kind of a romantic view about the early days of blogging. Um, so I can't recall which platform I used for my very first blog in the early 90s. Well, I'm going to say it couldn't have been Blogger because I kind of did a blog 96, 95 maybe, mm -hmm. which was about... Um, Italian food and <laughs> my my aim I listened to it, which I was not successful was to go around all the restaurants of Newcastle upon Tyne and try their food and review the food that that was going to be the aim of of the blog I think I'm going to be I wrote two articles realized that um, I prefer video than, than writing so but do, do you remember your first blogging attempt and what the subject was I um, had my own blog site, and I rem I didn't use something like Blogger. Um, I used some sort of software. It was all, it was just a we it was website authoring software and i can't even remember it wasn't dreamweaver it was the microsoft version of dreamweaver and i just created a, a standard website with pictures and, and i just used to use that and and i and it was it was travel i was writing articles about yeah. traveling to spain and um, the caribbean and that sort of thing <laughs> but these were the days. Remember when we had to literally compress photos to next to nothing? Oh yeah. Because these yeah. were the early days. I mean, people were mostly on dial-up, and yeah. I think you were lucky if your photos were twenty kilobytes. You know, of in terms of the size of it. Absolutely, and of course, you had to dial up using a modem with that silly noise that it always mm. used to make, and it could take about half a day to upload a web page. <laughs> <laughs> now, these were the days, and, and sometimes it's good to reflect because we, we don't sometimes appreciate. Uh, I mean, I sometimes can be quite negligent now with compressing my photos because I kind of know that the system will, will, will work it out for itself, and, and of course. The WordPress platform is where the blogging exploded. It's still a mystery to me, you know, when I think about Google and okay, they have Blogger and actually the platform is all right. Why they never went into website mm. design, you know, like, like offering mm. people the actual website solution like Wix and uh, all the others would. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't even remember coming across Blogger until loads of time later. I mean, I, I think I did my first proper blog, business blog, in about 2006. All the travel and fitness stuff was earlier than that. And by then, it was WordPress and mm. um, uh, what's the other one? Tumblr that I, I came across. I don't actually remember Blogger being about. That's interesting. Well, listen, everyone, if you still have your iPod Nano or indeed the iPod Mini, send us a picture to the show with your um, your contact details. We'll give you a shout out. 
and let us know what was your first blog in terms of topic and platform. Thank you very much. Now listen, let's get back into the present with our next segment, The Creator's Shoutouts. So, Roger, who have you chosen to be included in our Creator's Shoutout section? I'm giving a shout-out this week, Pascal, to a video which I think takes investigative geekery, if there's such a term, <laughs> investigative geekery, to its absolute ultimate level. I have never seen a piece of content before which takes the art of geekery to such a level. Now, the, the video channel is called Dalek... 6389 there is a website called dalek 6389 and i think i might have shouted it out on the show a long long time ago i'd have to go back and check but that website itself is a is a masterclass in geekery what effectively dalek 6389 and 6389 is 1963 to 89 which was the original run of the classic series of doctor who what they did is they kept and painstaking analysis of the Dalek props that were created for the Doctor Who series starting in 1963 when four uh, Daleks were created by a company called Shawcraft back in 1963. And what this website does is track those props all the way through those 20 odd years and indeed into in, even up until the present day and and they would the painstaking research they would do is that they would say like prop number one has a has a kink in the top left hand corner of the eye stalk and 20 years later you can actually see that kink still there <laughs> in this picture so that obviously means that it's the same prop from 20 years you know it's that level of detail but this video this video just blows any of that out of the sky they are talking in this video about the lost location of the Talons of Wang Chiang. Now, the Ch Talons of Wang Chiang is one of the absolute classic Doctor Who stories of all time. It was a Tom Baker series. It was made in 1976, and it was set in Victorian London. And it was a sort of pastiche on of all of those um, sort of megalomaniac Chinaman films that you used to get in the 60s, starring... Christopher Lee as Fu Manchu, I think he was called. Now, in that series, they filmed a, uh, a few on-location shoots of the Doctor with the TARDIS on streets in London and obviously dressed those streets to look like Victorian London. And for whatever reason, these guys have decided to take it upon themselves to try and track down today's location based upon the, that footage which was shot, let's face it, nearly 50 years ago. Plus, they've taken photographs from all other shows that were filmed around the same place at the same time. And they've actually managed to piece together the exact location. And honestly, Pascal, without going into it any more detail, they have used everything you can think of from bits of wall masonry to chips in bricks. And there's actually one piece of wall which is genuinely still there from an old church, which is effectively the thing that helped them to find this location and prove that it was there. Now, the location today has been modernized. It's been rebuilt. Everything's been um, repaved. The roads have been done. But these bits of walls still exist so they've actually been able to find this location and then superimpose pictures from 50 years ago over this location to prove that that's where they filmed it now isn't that just unbelievable geekery but what i love so much about this is that they discovered whilst they were doing a trawl of 
all photographs from other shows and this, that, and the other, that the same location was used for the final scene in an American werewolf in London. You know the scene in the right at the end where they they corner yeah. the werewolf down a, a, an alleyway, and uh, and um, Alex's character, Jenny Agatha's character, is there. And she and she says, "I love you," and, and then they shoot the werewolf. It's the same street, and and they even prove it by superimposing the Doctor Who picture over this one. And so I'm just shouting out to Dalek sixty three eighty nine. I bow down before you for your levels of determination, detective geekery. This is just unsurpassed. I mean. When you actually think about it, it's a really pointless video to do, but it's one of the best videos I've ever seen because it's just so dedicated to utter geekery. I just love it. More, please. Excellent. And you, you're right, you know, sometimes it's the simplest ideas that can recreate something that has great impact. And clearly you've enjoyed it. And all of you and listeners, me included, say, well, I've got to watch this because I want <laughs> to get to the to that point where I'm just like Roger, absolutely, you know, thrilled with the uh, the whole experience of watching someone's essentially hard work and, and, and dedication to, to the art, really. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you got, Thank Pascal? You. So well, we, we, this being the creator shout outs segment, we got our own shout outs very recently, Roger Edwards. Yes, yeah, so I thought it would be only right that we should thank two people, Anna Rodriguez and Yana Maldian, who are working for Podcast and Radio.co.uk. Now, Podcast Radio and Radio.co.uk. Um, so it's a website, it's a platform that is trying to solve quite a big problem, a very practical one, which is whether you've been listening to podcasts for a very long time or you're just starting, how do, how do you choose your shows? How do you choose what's going to really make a, a difference for you? So what they're doing is essentially doing this incredible work, going back to detective work, to find podcasts in and around a central theme. They review them, they listen to them, and then they put together a list and it so happens that two gigs of marketing podcast has been selected to be part of the eight digital marketing podcasts to know to know all you need in 2022 so anna rodriguez and um Anna Maldian have been working on this and they also included what they called an author's page in addition to the show being listed as part of the eight podcasts to know all you need and they also have got a page dedicated to you and I to the show and they also using the RSS feed from Captivate I've got the shows there so you could listen to two gigs and multi-podcast directly on the um, podcast and radio.co.uk platform which I think is great and just to kind of um, leave you with that which is about this idea of the vision and sticking to the vision of solving a problem what they've said is you know this list has been created based on content quality and usefulness marketing trends, best practices in digital marketing, interviews, marketing tips, events, and news. So they, they had, if, if you will, a, a bit of a brief to themselves. And then using that, they went into the research project, detective work, and we are part of eight. Part of the eight, we have people that you and I know within our network and, and beyond. So we're in good company. Chloe Thomas from Keep Optimizing Marketing Podcast is included. She was also featured 
featured on the Creative Shoutouts. The social media marketing podcast from Michael Selsa is there, as was Amy Porterfield's online marketing made easy and, and many others as well. So for me, it was two things that the pleasure of being part of a shoutout, but also the, the, the work that went behind it. It wasn't just quickly Googling it and putting a list together to get some traffic. There was definitely a, um, a vision behind it within the, the overall uh, website, but also there was a brief to themselves in terms of who's going to make the eight. Well, I feel really honoured to be on the same list as Michael Stelzner and Amy Porterfield, Pascal. I think that is a massive achievement for you and I. Indeed, absolutely. So once again, big thank you to Anna Rodriguez and Yana Mardian, and a big thank you to Danek6389 for making Roger so happy. <laughs> so listen everyone and Roger Edwards, we have reached the final segment of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Film Marketing, just after this. So, Roger, you've chosen a really captivating sci-fi movie, In Time, directed by Andrew Nichols, starring Justin Timberlake, Amanda Seyfried, Cillian Murphy, amongst others, released in the autumn of 2011. When you look at the reviews online and the reaction from people, there seems to be two groups almost. Those who believe this is one of the most underrated sci-fi movies of all time, and those who think, how is it that I'm not seeing this yet? And I will confess, I pretty much belong to the second group. I only saw this recently, actually it was during the pandemic. I went through the Amazon Prime kind of library of movies, creating a watch list, thinking, well, I'm gonna have a lot of time to kill and being stuck at home. And In Time was in that list and we finally watched it with Denise and we absolutely loved it, but I just didn't know this movie existed. No, we saw it. We didn't go to the cinema to see it, but we saw it when it came out on um, Blu-ray. In fact, we did buy the Blu-ray, and it is an it's an extremely good film, and I absolutely love the basic premise of it. I mean, we're we're in a future society, um, and everybody in that future society is genetically modified so that when they get to the age of twenty-five, their body clock effectively their aging clock stops. So pretty much everybody in the film looks like they are 25. They don't grow older at that for many point um, later on in, in, in their lives. But what they are given at the age of 25 is just one more year to live. And that one more year appears on their wrist as a series of bright glowing neon uh, numbers. And those numbers count down the seconds. So in a year's time, bang, their heart stops, whatever, and they just they just fall dead. And the concept of the movie is that they've got to buy themselves more time. Now, the way they buy themselves more time is that they get paid in time. So if they go and get a job, their wage effectively is more time. But the downside as well is that if they want to buy a coffee or they want to buy food or they want to get on a bus or they want to get on a plane, they've got to pay for that journey or that food with some time that gets deducted from their total. So you can imagine that sort of tension that it creates when somebody is getting close to only having an hour or two left and maybe having to buy something or they've got a bill to pay. It could literally mean the end of their life. And I, I, I just find it a concept which is absolutely mind boggling to get your head around. It's similar to a, a film from the 19... 19- 70s called Logan's Run where everybody 
died at the age of 30 um, and they were hunted down by these things called sandmen if they tried to escape that date with destiny and in this film we have um, a series of um, timekeepers who run around after people who are abusing the system but i just th think the concept is amazing yeah i mean i i thought i mean I, we watched it and we thought this was a great movie, but very sinister. Mm -hmm. And and th that's really what sci-fi movies can do sometimes, to be either a running commentary about what is happening in the present or a warning about what's happening, it could be happening in the near future. And I, I kind of um, knew about the director, but I had to look it up. And I, I know the name from somewhere. And then, of course, then I remembered about Gattaca that he did, you know, some years prior. He was the writer on the Truman Show, and and so on. So he's he, he seems to really really enjoy. You know, it feels to me like it could have been um, a novel written by Arthur C. Clarke. Which is mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. meant as a compliment, by the way. This idea of let me invite you to reflect on, you know, s signs of life in 2011, and essentially um, the future whereby. The allegory, the analogy is people won't be able to access the health system fairly or equitably. People will be able will have to do two, three jobs to be able to pay their bills and so on. You know, there was generally that 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 reflection as well, and the sense sacrifice and and the the, the injustice about a society between you know, the, the the have and the have nots and so on. I, I thought it was just a, a fantastic movie, and, and I almost wish for the creators that it'd been given uh, more coverage, you know, somehow. Yeah, I mean, it, we found it, I found it very difficult to find any um, marketing um, material beyond the trailers and the posters, which we'll come to. Um, but I, I love the, the the fact you 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 talked about it being almost an, an analogy of of current society i mean it's probably more relevant now than it was 10 years ago because we're hearing a lot in the media today about the widening gap between rich people and people who just have a difficulty making ends meet and of course that's being rammed home to us at the moment with the cost of living crisis and the fact that the cost of fuel gas and electricity is just absolutely skyrocketing and that's what this film is saying you know the people who are effectively in the ghetto are often running around with only a day left on their life clock, whereas the richer people living in the posh part of town, driving around in BMWs and, and limousines, you know, they've got hundreds of years on their arms. And that is a really stark um, nod to what might be happening about money in the world today. You mentioned Logan's Run. By the way, I love the TV series as well of Logan's Run. It was just so good, so entertaining. Um, the other movies that, that came to mind, uh, oddly, perhaps because of the name, but also because of that split between the two groups, was the Time Machine, mm. you know, between the Eloys and the, the Morlocks. And, and, and it's not new, you know, what In Time is exploring, but it's doing it its own unique way. And what has been interesting is, is back to what you were saying, uh, by the way, this is a plea and a call to current <laughs> filmmakers and, and film marketers. Can you please, please stop deleting everything off the internet or whatever? Because of course, in 2011, there was an official website, which is no longer accessible. There were social media accounts, Facebook and Twitter in particular, but it was only used for a matter of months for the duration of the, of the launch of the movie in the autumn 2011, and probably for the, the Blu-ray uh, release as well. But there was nothing else to, to go after. So you came up with a genius idea anyway. Yeah. Now, 
obviously there's a trailer and there's some posters and what i found intriguing was this would be a good lesson for us and hopefully informative for the listeners of the market of the um uh, two geeks in the marketing podcast to actually look at whether the trailer sells the concept of the film. Now, let's face it, the basic premise, which I explained a few minutes ago, it's actually quite complicated, isn't it? When you get to the age of 25, you know, your aging stops, etc., and you've got an, you've got one more year to live unless you buy more and you lose it, blah, blah, blah. That's quite a lot of tech babble to get across to somebody in a trailer. And I just thought it would be fascinating to, A, ask ourselves what needs to be in a trailer, and secondly, does this trailer, actually, we're going to watch two of them, do the two trailers for this film actually succeed in achieving those aims? Now, I thought what would be really interesting, Pascal, given your background as a movie producer, you know, tell us the bottom line, what is the point of a trailer other than to get bums on seats in cinemas, obviously? Well, for for me, and there's two types of trailers, and I think that's really important. And you and I have spotted sometimes the confusion. You've got the trailer you need to pull together to sell it to a distributor, whether mm. that's domestic market, in this case the US, or foreign markets. And then you've got the trailer for the audiences, and they are two different constructs. Um, often the trailer for the, the distributors and for the trade, shall we say, gives far too much away, uh, is far too long, and is usually there to convince somebody that, oh, by the way, if you were to cut a, a shorter trailer, or if you were to you know, consider our film, you're definitely going to make some money from you know, bombs and seats. Whereas the, the uh, trailer for the audiences, it needs to be a bit more enigmatic, it needs to sound the pace, it needs to make you care for the protagonist quite early on, and suggest, you know, what's in jeopardy here? You know, what is the threat? What is, um, you know, what are they up against? And what makes it so difficult? So, that's kind of to be to begin with the differentiator, which I think is very important. The other thing that the trailer can do and should do, and we're going to be watching the the first trailer in a moment, is also sell the cinematic and the sound design, because you are essentially promising to somebody who's going to pay, you know, in euros, pounds, or dollars, and all the currencies that in the now and a half, two hours that they're going to be in your company. It's, it, it is going to be a worthwhile experience. So the cinematography and the sound design and the dialogues even are part and parcel of what that trailer is meant to tease. 90 seconds, give or take, for a two-hour experience. That's essentially, you know, the dichotomy. So let's begin with trailer number one. my mother-in-law, Clara, my wife, Michelle, and my daughter, Sylvia. Whoa, whoa, where's the rest? Never met the quota. My units are up from last week. So is the quota. Just once, I'd like to wake up with more time on my hand than hours in the day. How old are you? 28. I'm 105. The day comes when you've had enough. If you had as much time as I have, what would you do with it? Sure as hell wouldn't waste it. The 
last time anyone saw him alive, there was over a century on this clock. Well, follow the time. His name is Will Salas. You can't hide a hundred years in the ghetto. You know that time will get you killed. Hey, Mom, I'm gonna get out of here. I just wouldn't know what to do if I lost you. I don't believe we've had the pleasure of your company before, Mr. Salas. Will Salas. I'm sorry to have to break up the party, Mr. Wex. I just need to work with your friend. This is my death. Please take me home. I can't do that. Why? You're keeping me alive. This is my death. How can you live with yourself watching people die right next to you? You don't watch. You close your eyes. I'm gonna make them pay. I'm gonna take them for everything they've got. Come on, come on, help yourselves! Take the time, it's free! You put enough time in the wrong hands, you upset the whole system. Let's hope so. If this works, we gotta get more. I can help you get all the time you want. You know we're coming to get you. All right, Roger. So what do you make or what is officially, according to IMDb.com, trailer number one for In Time, released in 2011? Well, the plus points are that I love the way that they use the the same green typography that they use for the life clock that's on the forearm so it's a sort of neon green color and it and yeah. it flicker it flickers just like it does it scrolls just like it does on the arm of the people and of course you do get a good feel for how the world looks and the contrast between the ghetto the poorer people the time poor people and the richer people the time rich people but that's where the positives for me stop. I, I find this trailer a bit of a mess. It doesn't really give me much of a of a hint about what the plot's about. It talks about stealing time or giving away time a little bit, but we don't even seem to get introduced to the characters. We see the characters, but I don't get a feel for where their motivations are. I don't know what the jeopardy is. I don't really understand this whole idea of what the life clocks are about. So had I seen this trailer before going to see the film, it might have talked me out of going. And I might have actually thought, you know what, I will wait for it to come out on DVD or Blu-ray and I'll, I'll give this one a miss because I just found it a bit of a mess. Do you know what's interesting? These are the very words expressed by others online saying, mm. I'm glad I saw in time before I saw this trailer. It's mm. absolutely fascinating. Mm. Um, I, I think for me, it's a couple of things I wanted to kind of bring up to everyone's attention. And I realized that this is a little trickier if you're a podcast listener, you've not had the pleasure of watching the images. But and there was a lot of reliance on copy on screen. So, you know, it begins with uh, following the, which I always love, you know, when they, they kind of create the style of the movie by changing the colors of the logo. So you have yeah. a bunch of Century Fox, Regency, one of the distributors, in that kind of gray monochrome style, suggesting a, f a future um, that perhaps not as well. And what follows is about 30 seconds, you know, segment or 30 seconds of text followed by a scene that is meant to illustrate what the text is saying. So in a way, you're doubling up on your explanation, which makes it much longer. 
So you've got the text in the near future with years counting up, and then you've got um, scenes of people standing with their forearms with the, the what we can just distinguish to be a numbers, and then you've got the crossfade to close up of the uh, a baby's arm. So you see, you, you're born with that uh, almost, you know, in you. You do not age past twenty five, and then we introduce to a mother in law, to a wife, and to a daughter by somebody off screen. They move on to life is paid out a minute at a time, and you have another scene, and this. Goes goes on across six um, kind of mini phrases and six um, kind of cut out from, from the movie. And it's just a bit long. And that's back to my argument that this may have been the trailer for the trailer for, for the audiences. Mm -hmm. And then that first segment is kind of brought to an end by the voice of the hero played by Justin Stimberlake. Just once, I would like to wake up with more time on my hands than hours in a day. And what is interesting about this first trailer, they kind of broken the rule, and rules, of course, are there to be broken, Roger, about the, what we call the hero's entrance. That's not, these are not my words. It's used by producers and you know, scriptwriters way before my time. But the hero's entrance has to be taken care of very, very well. I think the way um, Indiana Jones is introduced, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark and so on. So the fact that they, the, um, the hero doesn't speak first is, is an interesting you know, rule to, to, to break. We shall see. And then from that introduction, then we have about a minute of what, what I'm going to call the gift of time. So he meets a complete stranger, he's given more time than he should really rightly uh, have, and then di discover a world which is opulent, discover a world where people are literally immortals. And of course, is introduced himself to the to the rules of the timekeeper, which are there to protect the system invented by rich people. And then what follows is a 45 second minute, um, basically montage. I've called it, you know, with um, tongue in cheek, the race against time with the song Destiny by Syntax from the 2004 album. And actually the words in Destiny don't make much sense compared to the movies and so on. So what we have here is, is a montage of two and a half minutes where each segment uh, it operates almost in individually, but doesn't actually belong. There's not the threat through that you would expect. Hence your feeling of mild confusion of thinking, well, why is the hero here in trouble? Well, you know, he, he's got given years, if not centuries to leave. He can just go in hiding and all will be well. So yeah, you're right. It's, it's an interesting construct, but I don't think it was designed designed for uh, a public uh, an audience no it just felt to me as if it was a, a bit of a runaround film you know lots of car chases <laughs> a bit of glamour a bit of sex a lot more running around and it doesn't really give you anything to go on so shall we watch the second trailer let's do that Where's the rest? Never met the quota. My units are up from last week. So is the quota. Two hours. It's always been an hour. Now it's two. Price went up. It's a two-hour walk. I have an hour and a half. Then you better run. The poor. 
poor are meant to die. It's how the system works. What the hell's that supposed to mean? You really don't know, do you? How old are you in real time? 28. I'm 105. The truth is, there's more than enough time for everyone. There are men with a million years while most live day to day. For a few to be immortal, many must die. No one should be immortal if even one person has to die. You're not from around here, are you? Why would you doubt that? You're a little different. Come with me. The camera's picked up the suspicious behavior. His name is Will Salas. He shouldn't be there. What are we gonna do? Steal? Is it stealing if it's already stolen? I'm gonna make them pay. We can't have a thousand years in the wrong hands. It could cripple the system. I will stop him. The problem is, everybody wants to live forever. We're not meant to live forever. We are the kids of the You know we're coming to get you. Let's hope so. His crime wasn't taking time. He was giving it away. Now, this one, to me, Pascal, is a lot better. Now, interestingly enough, I found this trailer on a YouTube channel for 20th Century Fox India, but I couldn't discover whether this trailer was made specifically just for India or whether it indeed is another official trailer that isn't acknowledged on IMDb or anywhere else. But this one is cut together so much better, in my opinion. Now, Interestingly, it uses very much similar scenes to the trailer we've already seen, but the first 15 to 20 seconds very well explains the concept of the life clock, really explains it easily so that within those first 15 seconds, you get the concept. And then it makes total sense when they introduce later the concept that you're fighting to get that time you need and the the time poor people versus the time rich people and the fact that Timberlake inherits a lot of time and then what's he going to do with it? The fact that Timberlake is being hunted down by these timekeepers and that gulf between rich and poor and you immediately get more of a feel for the characters and their motivation and the jeopardy that they're in. So to me, this is almost like chalk and cheese and this is so much better and had i seen this trailer i would definitely have gone to the cinema to see the film because it made absolute perfect sense to me and gives you a reason to go because it gives you characters you want to go and see what happens to them yeah and to your point it does make sense that different territories and different cultures will have different trailers that's mm. the art of communication you know mm. right message right audience right time um for me yeah this is the trailer to get people to go to the cinema or in a good time to buy the blu-ray and and the construct is different now again a little trickier for our podcast listeners before people watching on video you'll have recognized many of the scenes from trailer number one but cut a bit shorter a bit differently and the montage it moves quickly but to your point the first segment which is about to set the uh, the context of the world of the future was literally half of the time 15 seconds mm. they half the text there was no dialogues as well in between the text and the very first voice we hear is from the hero 
back to the sentence, just once I would like to wake up with more time on my hands mm -hmm. than hours in a day, which then gives you the segue into the, the second se second segment where you have the gift of time. But we are also introduced to this idea of the world where you earn time and you spend time. And they also, perhaps you could argue a bit of a spoiler, but they give away the whole sequence about losing um, his mother, which is to this day, it's absolutely heartbreaking the way um, it's created where um, her mother basically has an hour and a half left of lifetime and she's two hours away from him. Mm -hmm. So she's running in his direction, he's running in her direction and would it make it together on time because you can gift time to uh, people close to you. And oh my God, in terms of a hero journey and the transformation from essentially passive to you know active in this world, talk about loss to really get someone to take action. And then we have the voice from, I think would be the timekeeper played by Cillian Murphy, the poor are meant to die. That's how the system works. And now back to your point earlier, Roger, his whole mission as the hero is to completely demolish this system. And then we're moving to the third segment, which is then a montage again of running around and fighting and so on. But what this does much better is everything's cut much shorter. There's no kind of extra seconds or half a second there that you don't need. But also, I would argue, it does a much, much better job to show the work of Sir Roger Dinkins, the cinematographer. The name may be familiar to some of you. Well, because you've seen his work on the Shawshank Redemption, which we've talked about on film marketing, Fargo, Skyfall, Sicario, 1917. This is the kind of guy that they had on board to film this movie. And of course, you've got to show his work. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a s absolutely perfect lesson in how important the trailer can be for a film. And, and it's almost a great coincidence that they that there are two in existence for this film, one bad and one good. And it can it just shows you how important it is. One of those trailers could have been responsible for the low audience figures and the fact that a lot of people don't know this film exists. Whereas if the second trailer had had wider coverage, let's assume that it only got shown in India, then the, sh the film could have been so much more successful than it actually turned out to be. No, absolutely. And, and for me, it's then about lessons. So even accomplished filmmakers need time to get that trailer right you know the very first version you've been there i've been there all of you listening your video case studies your vlog your everything you do you know give yourself time to go back or don't be afraid to go back and release a different version altogether because after a good night's sleep you know i've never been there before where sometimes i'm stuck and i just don't know how to cut that scene or i don't know how to to come across and actually you've got to walk away you've got to walk away and and sleep on it now don't get me wrong in the context of a film release they were up against that deadline literally yeah. <laughs> time time yeah. was running out so i have some sympathy with you know well we've got this trade trailer i'm going to call it this to be sympathetic let's release that but very very quickly let's move on to let's say a much finer and more engaging cut um, altogether so i'm going to ask you then roger people have said this is one of the most underrated sci-fi movie of all times. Would you, would you concur? I think so. I, I mean, I've seen it at least three times. I think I saw it on an aircraft at one point as well. Um, and it's definitely one of those films that I've had 
downloaded on my iPad because it's the sort of film I just think I can just I can dip in and out and watch episodically. I just love the I just love those sorts of stories which have that sort of um, observation to make about society, but surround it in a sort of um, science fiction premise, which is why I like Logan's Run as well. Mm. It's it's just one of those things. So definitely underrated. And if you haven't seen In Time, you know, great performance by Justin Timberlake. You know, don't, don't be put off by the fact that he's predominantly a pop singer. You know, he's a it's a good, good performance. And, and Amanda Seyfried as well, probably best known for Mamma Mia, puts in a really good performance, albeit she's, pretty much totally unrecognizable from Mamma Mia because in Mamma Mia she had blonde hair whereas this mm. she has black hair so you might not even recognize her as the same actress but a very very good performance from both the leads and Cillian Murphy as you say is always good in every film that he's in. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much, Roger, for suggesting this format of doing a deep dive and detailed breakdown of the trailers. It's just been fascinating, and hopefully we'll do that again. Let us know, everyone, if you think that it's an interesting way in which we can do film marketing for you. Remember also to suggest films for future reviews. This was episode 86, everyone. It has been an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you, Roger Edwards. <laughs> everyone, thank you for your support. Please leave comments in usual places. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni, and he was Roger Edwards. Mm -hmm.